As they're headed into kids' worship, uh, just again, want to encourage all of you, whether you're planning on it or not, whether you've been to Calvary hundreds of times or literally this is your first time showing up, you are invited. Please make sure you're going to be here at the, uh, at the cookout, which will take place right after the service. And just a little heads up, uh, we're going to have a song to close the service, but right after that song, I'm going to give you some instructions for the cookout. So if you're one of those people who are like, bust out right after that, uh, that last lyric of that last song, uh, then if, if you could just hang on for just a second, we're going to give you some instructions before you head out uh, for the cookout. The cookout is something we're trying uh, new this year. And in fact, uh, for the past several years, we've had something called the block party. And the block party was designed for us to spend time together as a church family, but also to invite our community in. And, and, and we kind of had that uh, kind of vibe of trying to do two things at once. And, and this year, we kind of tried to, we decided we're going to kind of split that up a little bit. And so instead of doing one event, we actually did more than one of it. Uh, you remember the back to school project that we just finished. And so on the ba- our back to school project was that we collected backpacks for uh, Central Detroit Christian and those got delivered and you were incredibly generous with giving toward that. But we also hosted along with the International Neighborhood Network, which is a, uh, which is a basically a, a missionary uh, endeavor to reach out to refugee families in and around the Detroit area uh, that, that's led by Tom and Lisa Inglesman. Uh, we, we partnered with them to throw a back-to-school party uh, for uh, the refugees that, that they are working with, primarily by, by providing English as a second language teaching to them. And so we want to thank you for your involvement in that. Again, you collected backpacks. Uh, we, we actually, uh, and not only did we distribute backpacks, but we headed down and we partnered with the International Neighborhood Network as well as uh, Ford Memorial United Methodist Church in Detroit. And uh, at that at the space of where Ford Memorial has their, has their services and everything, that's where the, the International Neighborhood Network, they kind of use some space. They're not necessarily partnering with the church, but they're using space there. So the party took place there um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was great. We had a, we had a wonderful response. We actually uh, ran out of backpacks, and we had to reach back out to you. And again, incredibly generous. want to thank you for that. And also, we have a little video uh, from Lisa Inglesman as well as a couple of uh, a couple of the students that received backpacks, just saying thank you to you uh, for your involvement in their life. We want you to check that out. Hi, Calvary Baptist Church. We just wanted to say thank you, um, thank you for sponsoring our back to school party at our Detroit ESL class. Thank you for all the donations of backpacks and school supplies and coming down to help us in serving our community in August. We also want to thank you for all the extra backpacks that you worked so hard to collect in the last two weeks. We were able to deliver some of those tonight to students and we plan this weekend to make personal home visits to, to deliver the rest of the backpacks. Thanks for the bags and the school supplies. Hello, I'm Anas from Morocco. I really thank you about the backpacks and I appreciate that you helped me a lot. Thank you very much. So again, it was just a simple way to meet a practical need that these refugee families had. For those of you who were at the event uh, and, and were helping with the activities that we provided, if you don't know, uh, and, and that's why we've actually simplified uh, the cookout a little bit is because we took a petting zoo uh, down for the event. We had face painting. We also rented a bounce house and then we took our nine square game. So we really invested in that event and we simplified the event that you're about to attend 
here after the service today because it's more designed simply, really the, the, the biggest purpose of course is to eat, but to hang out with each other. And so there are some activities that are there, but we hope that the event that we're gonna have uh, this afternoon is one where you're gonna be able to hopefully make, uh, you know, yes, connect with people that you already know, but maybe hopefully, prayerfully, connect with some people here in the church that you don't know. And so that's kind of what those two events have been for the last, uh, last several weeks. And we, again, thank you for your investment. We thank you for your involvement. And for also, for those of you who uh, brought food for today, as we simplified the event a little bit today, and we hope, again, that you're going to spend time and hang out with your brothers and sisters in Christ after the service. So today, because our focus really is on about that, that whole blessing that it is to be part of this thing known as the church, this thing that, uh, that, that we uh, recognize as an incredible gift from God, uh, we want to take a look if you uh, just, um, sometimes I think that when we get involved in a church and, we've, and some of us have been involved in a church for a really long time. Some of you grew up in a church. Some of you grew up in this very church. Others of you have spent many years in the church. For some of you, maybe not. But sometimes, regardless of how much time we spend in this thing that we call the church, we begin to have uh, notions about what it should be and, and how it should act and what are the things that it should do. I, I think that one of the things that's helpful for me as a follower of Christ is to consider what those first followers were committed to. Some of those ancient people who were some of the first disciples of Jesus Christ. Now their story is told in the biblical book that we know as the book of the Acts. If you've got an old translation, it might even say the Acts of the Apostles. Specifically, that's what the Acts were as they were reporting the Acts of the Apostles in the early church. The book of Acts provides us with the history of the early church and there has been some discussion and debate over the years as to, okay, when we read something in the book of Acts that the early church is doing, is that simply descriptive, meaning this is how it was, or it is at the same time, is it also prescriptive, meaning this is what you should do? I think like you've uh, uh, been kind of accustomed to, to me, and in fact, I, I wanted to mention today that it was about 10 years ago, can you believe it or not, you've been stuck with me that long, it was about 10 years ago that I started candidating for this very position, it's crazy, right? It wasn't, oh, thank you. I just meant that to say, wow, we've tolerated each other this long, I'm getting super old, all that kind of stuff. Um, but where was I headed? Oh yeah, so um, this, I, this idea of is it one or the other, I'm, I'm a little bit more uh, inclined to say it's probably a little bit of both. I don't think that, it, that when, when we read things from the book of Acts that we should expect everything to simply be a carbon copy of it. But I do think that there are principles that come out of the way in which those first followers were living that can inform us as to how we should be living in the church today. Is that fair? So again, is it gonna look exactly like that? No, because we're not living in first century Palestine, we're living in 21st century North America. Very different context, very different setting, very different, there's a lot of things that are very different, but at the same time, the principles that emerge from, from looking at these first followers, I would suggest to you is very important and should inform us. One of those essentials is this idea that I've taught you before of something known as koinonia. Koinonia is something that absolutely was experienced by those first followers. 
And as I've shared with you, it is the thing that really describes the end dimension of the church. What God wants us to experience in terms of, of a community, of a family, is represented by this Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship, association, community, intimacy, joint participation. Check it out. The share which one has in something. You're an investor, you're a part, you're, you're an essential part and piece of this family, of this body, of this community. That's what the idea of koinonia is all about. In fact, it's the word that's used when we share in something known as communion, same word. We're experiencing communion together as the body of Christ. And so again, it's a, it comes out of that root word koinonia. And we wanna take a look at that community that existed, again, in that, for, for those first followers of Jesus, just after they had the, their first big outreach, so to speak, there were a bunch of people that, as we'll see, that, that got saved, that trusted Jesus as Savior, and then they began this incredible thing of living together in Koinonia. And so I want to read, if you, uh, you can see in your notes, I'm going to read in chapter 2 of the book of Acts, uh, beginning in verse 38. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, so you can bring that one up on, uh, on version or Bible Gateway or whatever you like to use, or you can look right there off the back of the notes and follow along with me as I read all the way down through verse 47, okay? The context here is that Peter had, in response to a dramatic event where the first, those first followers were, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Meaning that if you would imagine that there were people, let's just say there were people with, that, that are sitting here today that speak six, eight, 10 languages as their native tongue. What happened was there was a supernatural event in which the, the, the people who were speaking, the, the followers of Jesus were speaking, but they were being heard by those who have, uh, in their own language. So God was doing a supernatural event so that the, the, what, the, what was being communicated was able to be understood by all those in their native tongue, even though as they were speaking, they were speaking one thing, but God was doing a supernatural thing so that everyone who was there could understand in their native tongue. After, after there, there was some question as to what was going on, Peter, uh, Peter clarified that and he began to preach the, what would be known as course of the first message or sermon or talk of the, of the, of the early church. And when, when he was done with that, the people in the crowd were, were cut to the heart, the scripture says in chapter two, and they say, brothers, what must we do? And when we pick it up here, this is Peter's reply to them when they asked, after he had given that first message, when they asked, what should we do? This was his reply, and then this begins the description of how they lived together. He replies, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And, th and that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had all things in common. 
They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be our teacher today and that our hearts would be open to what you would teach us. Help us, Lord, as we take a glimpse into these ancient followers of Jesus. Help us to see, God, that which they're living. Help us to see their hearts. Help us to see how you are at work in them in a powerful way. And may it, God, inform us and challenge us and in fact change us as we live in that same type of koinonia as they experienced thousands of years ago. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see on the front of your notes, there's a list of seven or eight, maybe nine things that are listed there. And, and, and in, in listing those things again, what I'm hoping that you will see is as I kind of pull out some of the principles that were being lived out in this first uh, century church, that it will again inform us so that we can live more aligned with what God has called on our lives is. And so as we do that, again, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on each one, but hopefully in trying to do, to do more a, a sweeping kind of a look this morning, it'll help us to see the vibe of what that early church was experiencing and how they were living so we can understand how, again, God's call on us is to live in with those same kind of principles operating in our own community. The first thing I would su- suggest to you is these were people who were dedicated the scripture, the, the word there is they devoted themselves, right? They were dedicated. They were committed. There was a, there was a, 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 a devotion and an intentionality there. They were invested in each other. It wasn't just this idea uh, that, that, that church was something that they attended. It wasn't something that they did. It was who they were. It was their life. It was their identity. It was their place of belonging. It was their family. They were devoted. They were committed. They were dedicated. The word that we translate into our Bibles, English Bibles, devoted, is the Greek word proskotereo. It means to be earnest towards something. It means to persevere, to be constantly diligent, or to a person to adhere very closely to them in the role of a servant. And so this is the idea of devotion, of commitment. It was others-oriented, right? I don't want to say others-centered because, of course, it was Christ-centered. It was, it was centered on the teachings of Jesus, but it was really had an orientation more toward the needs of others than toward the needs of ourselves. And we see the New Testament writers picking up on that and, and in, infusing that as they wrote to those first churches that existed, especially in the writings of Paul, how they were supposed to be consumed with the needs of others more than they were focused on the needs of themselves. So they were dedicated. They were committed. Again, they didn't see this thing as something uh, that was like just kind of a, a, a place to kind of associate casually. But there was this deep root 
commitment, investment. It was the understanding that I have a part to play. It was the understanding that someone else also has my back. And we're gonna see how they lived this out in a real practical way, but I don't want you to miss this idea simply that they were devoted, they were committed, they were dedicated, they were invested. What were they invested in? What were they committed to? Let's take a look at some of those things. The Bible says they were devoted to learning. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to what's oftentimes referred to as the didache, the teaching of the 12. Uh, comes out of the root word didasco, which is a type of teaching that is a transformational kind of teaching. Not just a proclamation, not just an announcement. That's the word more used for, for uh, a caruso, which is preaching and proclamation. But this was teaching to transform. And it was clear that they, they understood that the apostles, because of their walking with Jesus, had a certain set of information that they felt like it was very important to transfer on into them. And so, again, would we, would we suggest that, that, uh, as, that we as a community that's gathered around the truth of Scripture and the person of Jesus Christ and empowered by His Holy Spirit, that a learning atmosphere isn't one that we would want to embrace? Well, of course we'd want that as a part of ours. Of course we want that as a part of our community. We have adopted that. We are a teaching church and we are hopefully a learning community. But again, not just learning for information. You see, if you're just a casual attender, if you just come here because, well, it's the thing I do out of habit, or it seems like a good, uh, it seems like a good thing for my, for my family to do, and it's not this intentional commitment, then it won't be about me learning to be changed. It'll just be me learning because, well, I like the way he teaches or she teaches, or, or man, that's really interesting. It's not about capturing you with something that you never knew before. It's about God capturing your heart to take you to a place spiritually that you've never been before. Does that make sense? That's what the apostles were doing. That's what they were infusing with their teaching ministry, is people had the expectation that they were going to be changed by the teaching of the apostles. As they did that, it was super relational. Super relational. They were devoted to the fellowship. Remember what koinonia is? There's that investment, there's that in, uh, commitment, there's that joint participation, there's that idea of intimacy. In the, in the voice translation of the Bible, in verse 44, where in, in our particular translation, it says all the believers were together and had all things in common. In the voice translation of the Bible, and their particular um, bent in their translation is they're trying to represent the voice of e each individual author. That's what their approach to translation has been in the voice Bible. And in that Bible, in that translation, verse 44, they use this phrase, there was an intense sense of togetherness. I love that phrase. I think they did a good job of capturing the spirit of koinonia, the spirit and the heart of the people there. There was an intense sense of togetherness. Again, not just one of those things. Yeah, we said, hey, a couple of times today, I, I, I missed the first one, so it must have been a little bit of a snafu there, which is totally fine. Yeah, we said, hey, twice today, but that, it's not about those kind of things. Those are almost perfunctory kind of things, right? It's about how do I do life with one another? That's the idea of this intense sense of togetherness. The idea of, of, of how, how we are involved with each other's lives. It's, it's sharing the common experience of our joys, our fears, our tears, and of course the divine glory that we have in Christ. 
Someone has said that a Christian community is a group of people who are committed to Jesus and who are committed to one another, sharing their lives together. It's God's people hanging out together, doing chores together, eating together like we're going to do this afternoon, working together, playing together, serving together, studying God's word together, worshiping together, growing together, laughing together, crying together, praying together. What's the word that goes along with all of that stuff? Together, 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 together. What the voice translation say? An intense sense of togetherness. We don't go at this thing alone. And as one who is not naturally inclined to go together, me, I understand the challenge of it. I know some of us like a little bit, it's a little bit more easy for many of us to go along in life as lone rangers. I get that. I understand that. But that's not an excuse for me to just say, well, that togetherness stuff, that's for other people. I have to challenge myself. I have to remind myself. I have to have people to speak into my life. You just like everyone else. This idea of of being committed to the fellowship is just as important for those of us who are a little bit more accustomed to wanting to go solo as it is for those who are always, I'm always amazed. When we're in a social setting, here's the thing, and here's the difference between me and my wife. See, I love to stay at this level with everybody, right? Not get too deep. You know, I want to kind of know who you are, where do you work, how many kids you have, all that kind of stuff, what's your favorite this or that. And I love being in those social settings, like just kind of sitting next to somebody or meeting somebody new. That doesn't threaten me at all. But I don't want to think I kind of dip down into some of that depth of conversation. Now, when my wife works a room, much different than when I work a room, right? She finds one person, and at the end of the night, she knows everything about that person. I'm like, how did you guys take your conversation? And do you know them? Do you know her? No, typically no. How do you take your conversation so deep so quickly? Like I met 10 people, but the only thing I know about them is their name. I'm good at remembering names, all that kind of stuff. I know their name. I know who they are. And she knows like their, their, their dreams and their hopes and their fears. But see, again, just because Amy's more naturally inclined that way and I'm more naturally inclined to be well, let's face it, worse, that doesn't mean that I can use that as an excuse. An intense sense of togetherness. We're together in this. This community was also a worshiping community, right? The Bible says they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Also in verse 46, you saw that they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. The scholars suggest that it could mean that they were using the courtyard as a kind of a public meeting space for their meetings, or it possibly could mean that they were continuing with the daily worship practices of Judaism. And it could mean, again, it could mean both. They could have been using the courtyard as a meeting space for themselves, and they also could have been doing some of those daily worship practices, uh, the burnt offerings, the incense that were oftentimes, those things were were done, uh, the burnt offerings and the incense offerings were not done by the people, they were done by the priests, but there would be kind of a crowd there, kind of to watch the priests do their thing, and that crowd oftentimes would be praying, and if you were there with the priest as he was offering his, uh, as he was doing these religious rites, then a lot of times if you were there praying, the priest would come and give you a blessing 
And so the people, of course, wanting to get that blessing, oftentimes there would be a, not maybe a huge crowd, but a little bit of a crowd that would gather for those things that happened in the morning and the afternoon. So they could have been doing that and using that as a, as a time of worship. But the point was that these were people who were worshiping later in, this, in, the, in, the, in the scripture. You can see that they were, they were praising God. We also see in verse 42 that they were breaking bread together. Now, even though we use that term more for like having a meal, and it could mean that, but many scholars believe that instead, uh, instead of a reference to having a meal together, that by breaking bread, it's a reference to the Lord's table or what we call communion, observing that thing that Jesus had called them to observe in remembrance of him, remembering his body and his blood. But they were a worshiping community. They were a learning community. They were a community that had that intense sense of togetherness. That is, they were a relational community. They were also a community that just wasn't a human thing. And this is really important. They were a supernatural community. A supernatural community. What did Peter say right at the very beginning of his uh, response after they asked him what he should do? After he told them to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, what did he say? You would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They had just received themselves the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were born in a supernatural manner. In the Bible, it says in verse, in verse 43 that everyone in this, and that everyone possibly, again, scholars suggest that, uh, that this isn't necessarily a reference, uh, a reference, I'm sorry, to, to people in the church, but maybe the non-believing public. Everyone, the entire community was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed by the apostles. This was a Holy Spirit thing. This was a supernatural thing. We see in, in, in uh, Acts chapter four, actually, which there's a kind of a, almost like a repeat of this passage uh, a few chapters later in Acts chapter four. And in that uh, Acts chapter four, in verse, in verse 18, uh, the, the, uh, basically Peter and John, the leader, two leaders, uh, two of the apostles who were leaders in the early church, they had, they had been brought before the Sanhedrin and they were basically told to not continue to do what they've been doing, which is teaching about the person of Jesus. And in verse 18, they tell them not to speak at all. And, and Peter and John reply, judge for yourselves whether it was right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. Again, did they do that in their own strength? These were the same people who were incredibly afraid after the death of Jesus. But they did that in the strength of the Holy Spirit. In verse 31, uh, which is, is the context of that is that after Peter and John leave the Sanhedrin, they go back and they join the apostles. And in verse 31 of, of chapter four, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And, 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 uh, and as you check out the continuation of that, of that passage and you jump down into verse 43, it says, and with great power, by the way, the, the, the phrase there is the Greek phrase, mega dunamis. You know what it would be for something to be mega dynamite? Very big dynamite, very big power, very big explosion. And with great power, mega dunamis, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and abundant grace was upon them all. This was not just a bunch of people who were gathered around each other because they got along. They had the same agenda. They were all from the same background. Or they all saw life the same way. No, they were people who were united together because they were filled with the spirit of God. Folks, 
Let's not forget that when we talk about being a learning community, a worshiping community, and when we, we talk about all these aspects of what it really means to experience koinonia, we cannot achieve this apart from the presence of the Holy Spirit himself filling us so that we can be those kind of people with the, for and with each other that God's calling us. We are a supernatural community. That first, those first followers were a supernatural community. I think it goes without saying, but I'll go ahead and put it up there really quick. They were unified. The Bible says in verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. That word, one mind, is a very powerful word. It's the Greek word homothumadon. And it's a, this is a unique word. Check it out. It's a, it's a compound word. It's made up of two words which mean to rush along and in unison. So the image, the, the image of this ancient word is, is kind of like a musical image that, that, the, that the, the word kind of is trying to communicate to us. It's, and, and that is there's a, a number of notes that are sounded which while different harmonize in pitch and tone. So as with the instruments of a great orchestra under the direction of a concertmaster, so the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of those who are members of Christ's church. So when the scripture says that we are, that they were day by day continuing with one mind in the temple, it is this idea that they were moving along in life together, rushing along in unison, moving ahead together. They were not separate from each other, but instead they were together. Verse 44 certainly alludes to that and it kind of introduces us to that next principle as well. When it says in verse 44, now all the believers were together and held all things in common, which shows that not only were they unified, but they were also willing to be generous. And again, this is one of those instances where we say, now wait a second, is this what we're supposed to do, every one of us for all time? Is this what the church is exactly supposed to do? They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. I'm not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting that because it happened in this way in first century Palestine at the start of the church, that it has to have, again, be an exact replication of that today. But what I am suggesting is, I think the principle of generosity abides. They were people who, when they saw the needs of others, they didn't ignore them. They didn't neglect them. They didn't overlook them. They didn't give reasons why they couldn't meet them. They distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. They took care of one another. If there's something I can do to help you, if there's something I have that you can use, if there's resources that I possess that would be of benefit to you, the heart of the early church was that they did not see their life as their own. They did not see their possessions as their own, but instead they saw them in some supernatural way as part of the whole. Again, in chapter four, Scripture mentions almost, to a, to a, almost verbatim the very same kind of thing that's happening, continuing to happen in the church. Verse 32 of chapter 4, all the believers were, in, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. 
And jumping down to verse 34 of that, of that chapter, there were no needy persons among them. For, for from time to time, those who owned lands and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. They were generous. They were people who took care of one another. As we move toward the end, the early church was something that was actually enjoyable. (laughs) I hope that our attitude toward the church is not that it's a place that we have to tolerate. Now, I recognize that it can be that way. Remember, Paul wrote to a couple of uh, believers who were struggling, Uodia and Syntyche, and said to them, I'm, listen, ladies, I'm pleading with you to get along with one another. I'm begging you. Because they weren't getting along with one another, obviously. That happens in the, in, the, in the church. Happened in the early church, happens in the contemporary church. It'll happen in the church 200 years from now. I recognize that. But these were people who enjoyed being together. Look, if you will, again, back in verses 46 and 47, they broke bread from house to house. They were spending time together. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of, come on, really, Luke, all the people? There had to be some people in that church that somebody didn't like, right? Of course there are. But some way, somehow, again, that's why I think it's not just about who do I like, who sees the world like me, who, who you know, all those kind of human ways in which we connect and we build these social, um, you know, kind of uh, communities around things that we like or we're interested in or, or political persuasions, all that kind of stuff, our view on education. I'm not, this is not what's happening here. This is a supernatural transformation of people. So when they spend time together, they live literally are enjoying the favor of the entire community. It can happen if we allow God to work in our hearts. And the last thing is this, even in the midst, and you saw, right, all these things, being unified, being connected in relationships, teaching together, learning together, worshiping together, all those things, all that stuff that's very inward focused at the same time, let's not forget the reason the church was founded is because they were a gospeling, witnessing community, right? That's what Peter did when he responded in verse 38 the way he did. The church was born in the power of the gospel. And so we are a gospeling community. The Bible says at the end of this passage that every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Well, how is that happening? I would suggest to you that's happening because they are a gospeling community. They are people who recognize the value of living, yes, in relationship with their father, in relationship with each other, but also in relationship with the world. They are living in that up, in, and out, all three dimensions, recognizing that God has a call on their life. This happens in many ways. This happens as we, again, just like we did a a few weeks ago, as we reach out in in a very practical way by providing school supplies and backpacks for those at, uh, at CDC or with the refugee ministry. This happens as we reach out on a, on a regular basis on each Saturday with our ABCs in the D ministry. A remi- great reminder to you, a, a very practical way for you to share the love of Jesus with people by, pr- by providing some simple tutoring, but also providing for them each week a, a gospel story, a, a Bible lesson. 
to impact their life with the truth of scripture. It's not just about addressing intellectual and academic needs, but it's a a relational component that also provides us a a way to, to declare Jesus to them. But it also happens in your everyday lives. As you head out in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your communities, in your classrooms, on your sports teams, whatever your interests are, wherever, you're, wherever you are taken, any place that God takes you in life, there's an opportunity for you to represent as an ambassador and as a witness, as salt and light, the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite passages in scripture is found in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, basically, to, because I'm kind of running out of time here, uh, but I want to mention this. In Acts chapter 8, uh, the church is experiencing intense persecution. Saul, who later would become Paul, who would be a uh, leader in the church, he's dragging people out of their house and taking them to prison, both men and women. There's a, there's a great persecution that hits the church. And in fact, the Bible says that all the, all the people, except for the apostles, all the leadership stayed in Jerusalem, but the rest of the, uh, rest of the disciples, all the rest of the followers of Jesus were dispersed everywhere else through this persecution. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture then comes in, uh, in Acts chapter eight, verse four. And this is what Luke says. He says, those who were dispersed by this action went throughout the country preaching the good news of the message as they went. They didn't have their leaders. The apostles, according to Acts 8, were still in Jerusalem. They just were kicked out their lives. They're, in a sense, they are refugees. They're kicked out of their homes. They're kicked out of their city. They're basically dispersed by this persecution. And what did they do? Well, they probably did lots of stuff, but one thing we know they did is they preached the gospel wherever they went. Which says to me that those people who had been part of this community part of this koinonia, part of this first followership of Jesus. They had been so thoroughly discipled that when their context changed, they did what they had been trained to do, which is the very thing that the apostles did with them. Proclaim the good news of Jesus. So when you think of this community, again, that's a long list, right? When you think of all those things and you go down through, they were a dedicated, learning, relational, worshiping, supernatural, unified, generous, enjoyable, gospeling community. And there are churches, I think to the discredit of the call on their lives. There are churches that pick out one of these things and say, we're gonna be the learning church. We're gonna be the relational church. We're gonna be the worshiping church. We're gonna be the outreach church. I would suggest to you that that is not an option for us because to be a discipling community, these things don't become optional, but they become a call on our lives. We are committed, we are devoted to learning from scripture, connecting with each other, worshiping the one true God, experiencing the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, being unified and generous as we deal with one another, allowing this place actually to be something that we could enjoy together and always remembering our call to be the gospel witness of Jesus. That's what I believe God's call in the church is all about. And that's what we get to celebrate today as we remember that we are a part of his family, the church of Jesus Christ. 
Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this narrative from many, many years ago that describes the heart and the passion and the lives of those first followers of Jesus. And I pray, God, that we would just not only see, not just notice, but that we would also, Lord, receive as a calling these principles that were exhibited by those ancient Christians and that they could become more and more a part of our life here today. We thank you, God, for an opportunity to celebrate our identity as as people who have been called home by you into your family. And as we do that, God, may we again begin to more and more every day set aside our needs and embrace the needs of others. Live with a spirit of generosity. Live with with an intense sense of togetherness. Thank you, God, for this calling, but it's one that's not we're not able to do on our own. So we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that truly this community that we experience is not one that's made by human invention or, or aspiration, but instead it's one that's developed by the power of God himself. We give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's see.